This episode brought to you by Healthier You. Are you living the healthiest version of you? Hi, this is registered dietitian and Run Disney race announcer, Carissa Galloway, and I'm excited to share some information about the course I created. It's called Healthier You. In my talking and working with runners, they're always asking about ways to improve their health, nutrition, and for weight loss. I took everything I've learned as a registered dietitian and made it into this easy-to-navigate 12-week course. You're getting meal plans, you're getting nutrition education, you're getting recipes, and you're getting live monthly Q&A sessions with me where you can ask your personalized questions. We've had over 200 Healthier You participants this year, and so many of them are sharing great stories of success with how simple it is to use the program and how it's made huge improvements in their energy and nutrition choices. I'd love for you to join Healthier You, and you can use the code Jeff. J-E-F-F to save $175. You can go to GallowayCourse.com or find the link in the show notes and follow me on Instagram for more information at Carissa underscore G-Way. This episode is brought to you by Fidipides and BFF. That is the best massage tool that I have ever found for reviving muscles and also allowing them to recover dramatically faster. Go to Fidipides.com Enter your promo code, which is UCANBFF, at checkout for a $50 discount off your purchase. I don't actually search for motivation because most days I'm not motivated, <laughs> but I have purpose. And that purpose is to create a legacy that I'm proud of, that more importantly, to create a legacy that my family is proud of. and really live the message that I am portraying on social media and on Peloton and all these other things. And I find that doing my own workout, I have way more honest energy to give. It it seems seems antithetical, but like that energy does beget energy. And um, I always think about that. We are so excited to have Robin Erzon join us today. If you don't know Robin, she inspires millions of people on the fitness revolution that is Peloton and on her social channels. But her story is just as inspiring. She's an author, a diabetic, an ultramarathoner, a spin instructor. There's just so much to cover with her. So without further ado, here's our great conversation with the vice president of programming and head instructor of Peloton, Robin Erzon. You can do it. Run it Robin, welcome to the You Can Do It podcast. Our mission here is to help people improve the quality of their lives through exercise, nutrition, and mental training. We just love your story of empowerment and how you've helped so many people get out there and stay active. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, let's start by saying congratulations. You recently announced that you are expecting. That's really exciting. <laughs> it is. My first my first baby, so I'm I'm new to the journey. <laughs> well, it's always a journey and uh the first time through the, there are so many unique things and and a lot of questions, but if you do have any questions about running through pregnancy, we have two experts in our family, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> West, Weston's mother, Barb, actually ran up until the day that Weston was born. Wow. And, uh, 
and Weston's wonderful wife, Carissa, just brought into the world Elliot Galloway in June. And now you're going to inspire a whole new population of expectant new moms. That's the hope. That's the goal. (laughs) Well, it will open up a whole new world out there and a good world, too. And I can tell you from experience in the clinics, tagging along with Barb, there are so many questions. And I'll have to tell you, I learned far more about you women than I ever wanted to learn from listening to that. (laughs) But it's all good stuff. Uh, Congratulations also on your book. We'd like to fill in some of your history. So let's go back to when you were a little girl. Were you very active? No, I was not an athlete as a kid. I was the straight A student, arts and crafts child. I truly was petrified of gym class and did anything I could to get out of of PE. So (laughs) it was not a childhood pursuit at all. Well, that was very similar to my experience, and it was why I became so fat before 13 years old when I started running because I was the last one picked when there were sports and I have no skills. And I know that whole syndrome that you're talking about. And uh, that helps is going to help you over the years relate to those who are out there in by the millions who are afraid of exercise. You can really relate to them very well. It's very positive. Yes, I can. Um, Well, when did you start running? I started running when I was uh, during my first year of law school. So it was, I was in my early 20s. And did you like it from the very start? <laughs> no, I didn't. I think I, I started with about a mile and a half. It was, from my, it was a mile and a half from my apartment to my law school campus. And I decided to jog to school one day. And then I saw a flyer for a 10K at a bank maybe two weeks later. I had no idea how far a 10K was. I just showed up on the steps of the art museum. <laughs> and wow. I, I halfway through that race, I was like, gosh, this running thing is really hard. I don't even know what shoes I was wearing. I'm sure my pace was, I'm sure I went out way too fast. I mean, I'm sure I did all the things that you're not supposed to do on race day. But I, I vowed when I crossed that finish line that, I would get better at that. And little by little, I did. Well, um, that is so typical. But you, as you know, you learn more from your mistakes than your successes. Well, what was it that you particularly liked about running that kept you in the game after making those mistakes? I loved how it became how I processed stress and how I processed traumatic events. And it just became kind of my, um, my constant ability to revisit the run. And I think, especially in the beginning, I had no agenda. I had no pace. I had no distance. I didn't have a watch. I didn't have anything fancy. So it really just was the, the simplicity of being out there on the road and carving out opportunities to listen to my own inner monologue. That was a, that was a first for me. You went through the same journey that so many people have, but obviously there was a need at that point in your life that running fulfilled. And uh, when I researched my book, Mental Training, I discovered the research behind 
what goes on in the brain when you run. Running turns on the circuits for a better attitude, more vitality and personal empowerment better than anything else in life. And you are an example of that. Now, um, you also progressed pretty quickly into the ultramarathon distance. What did this type of challenge mean to you? Yeah, I think I did one or two, maybe only one or two marathon distances before I started dabbling in ultras. And honestly, it was curiosity. I just wanted to see what happens if I keep going (laughs) and uh, how will I feel if I keep going? So that it it truly was just curiosity. I, I didn't know that many people in the ultra community and I found it so welcoming. I mean, I showed up, I remember showing up to my first 50 miler. I didn't even have the right gear. I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't have water. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have anything. And I, I look back on it. So embarrassed. It's so embarrassing, but but the, the running community was so accepting and, you know, I think people gave me goose and I, peanut butter sandwiches and I don't even, it was, it was, it was a really tough race, but it was my favorite race I've ever done. I think simply because it there, there was so much humanity in it. So you're saying you didn't find that same connection with your law school uh, compadres or uh, the people in the law profession? I didn't. I I mean, that was an intellectual pursuit. So it was a different kind of excitement, but that I truly understood community because I was never part of a team. I was never part of, um, I didn't know that movement could bond people in that way. And it was really the running community, both the ultra community, um, and, and the running community in New York that I found, wow, there's a whole group of people out here who come from all walks of life who just love this thing that I love. So that was really, that was an exciting discovery. And a lot of my social time uh, in my twenties was really centered around the running community. That's awesome. So when you were contemplating this change, so you, you were a lawyer, um, but you thought that maybe something greater was out there for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that change in your life? It was a slow process. I, I really fell in love with running and it was, it became, I I started to listen to that beckoning. I think that we have whispers that can become roars if we listen to them intentionally. And I thought, okay, well, I know I've got a passion for this, but how the heck do I monetize this? You know, if I'm, I'm not joining the Olympic team, I'm like, Jeff, I'm not going to be an Olympian. So, or it's very exceedingly unlikely. So what do I do? So that's when I had to get creative and I kind of used my legal acumen in, in, in analyzing business and analyzing um, industry to kind of unpack that. But that was a, that was a two to two to three year process really where that I took in bite-sized chunks. Similar to training for a race, you, you look at the, uh, you look at the goal, you look at the outcome. And I was like, okay, outcome is the ideal outcome is that I'm paid for something related to running movement, wellness. Um, And then I kind of did a work back approach, but it was little by little. And a lot of it was, you know, interviewing editors at magazines, interviewing other marathoners and ultra marathoners that I knew, like, you know, meeting folks like 
Rich Roll or, you know, getting exposed to, to Scott Jurek's book. So just immersing myself in education and information and then deciding and then being bold enough to kind of enter the enter the ring. Being <laughs> yourself open to these experiences is something that very few people do, especially when they've gone through something like law school. Yeah. So how did you make the transition from the law field to the fitness world? Yeah, so I I received my spin certification and my and my RRCA running coach certification while I was still a lawyer, simply just because I wanted the information. Um, when I left my when I truly departed from my law firm, it was two weeks before the London Olympic Games, and I had already started multiple social media platforms. I had a burgeoning community at the time, so I really used a confluence of what one would call influencer marketing, working with brands, like some of the biggest athletic brands in the world, and using that that as a vehicle for storytelling. I also created a blog that was really just a scrapbook of my own training and experiences. And this became a visual conversation with, and brands started paying attention because I was documenting a pretty unique running experience as a young athlete in New York City, running with artists and fashion designers and DJs and um, Lower East Side icons from, you know, really, really cultural icons that, that you know, in the music, in a lot of different industries in New York, um, that became my, that became my crew. And so I, so, so that became a social currency of sorts that enabled me to then monetize the jump. So I, a lot of brands, a few brands started to send me like shoes and things like that, which of course, you know, if anybody's paying attention to you as a non-professional runner, you're like, Oh my God, thank, thank you. But I realized really quickly that what I was observing from had, had value from a marketing standpoint. So I, took on consultancies. And I said, no, I said, I'm not accepting your free shoes anymore, but I'm happy to charge you for an hour of my time. And that, that was a tipping point for me. Then I, uh, you know, I, I of course became a more experienced runner. I started writing my book. I got my book deal. And then around that time, I started teaching group fitness classes in New York city, truly out of for fun. Then I read about Peloton and that, that piece of my journey became a career. But it wasn't totally smooth. About that time, I understand you were diagnosed with uh, diabetes. Yeah. Well, that was after I, right at the beginning of my Peloton journey is when I was diagnosed. Yes. And uh, what was that like and how did it affect your, uh, your running and, and your approach to helping other people? It was, I mean, it was shocking, of course. Thankfully, I'm very, very grateful that I was already running. So I had an understanding of self-awareness, body awareness. But of course, when you're, when you're dealt with such an unexpected medical diagnosis, something that will be lifelong, it's, you have to pivot, adapt, and then reassess. And, and thankfully, technology was available. And I also had examples in the community of folks who not many, but a few, but at least but actually one, one very specific one, Stephen England is a, is an uh, astounding ultra runner. And he was a personal friend of mine in the New York city community. And I remember meeting him for lunch and just being like, what the heck am I going to do? And seeing him, you know, you can't, you can be what you can see. Right. So I was able to figure out my own way and 
it did require a lot of, um, it required enough bravery to meet with my medical team and ask for what I needed and trust that I could do this because there was a lot of doubt, especially someone who was also, you know, running the miles that I was running, but also teaching in front of a camera, doing strength training, doing cycling classes. It, you know, most folks don't train three hours a day and I was, so that was, you know, there was a definitely a transition period, but I also had the utmost confidence that I was made for this. Well, you certainly have shown that and our experience in our Galloway training programs, thousands and thousands of diabetics have gone through the program now and have been successful. So you know that it's not a deal killer for most people and uh, for sure. way to go. Let's talk a little bit about Peloton. Um, I'm sure most listeners are familiar with the bike and, and the platform, but what's your elevator pitch for people that haven't experienced a Peloton class or never uh, been on a Peloton bike or treadmill? I, I don't really need an elevator pitch anymore. <laughs> I don't even have a resume anymore. Um, but for those uninitiated, it is a global fitness company. We are a connected fitness company. So we sell a hardwired bike, a tread, and of course, our third product is an app. So there is a digital application where you can access our tens of upwards of 10,000 classes across many modalities. So not just strength training, yoga, meditation, and of course, cycling and running. But the the beauty of it is that you are working up from the privacy of your own home with the convenience and efficiency that that, and of course, safety now that that offers. But there is a really immersive community. So what I fell in love with, specifically the running community, what I fell in love with was that human connection. And with our software and with our user, with our leaderboard and with our UX, we're able to provide that immersive experience. And I, as head instructor, have the immense privilege of leading a team of instructors who are are anchored in credible fitness training, but we really are hosting a television show while sprinting. <laughs> so there's an entertainment piece, I think, that keeps people coming back. And I, I'm very excited to say that there's something for everyone, whether it's musical stylings or a teaching style or a training coach. That, um, there's a lot of diversity there. What, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but your responsibilities as, uh, as vice president of fitness programming, what, what does that entail? So I am part of the executive team and I really sit, you know, I work very closely with our chief content officer, Jeff, Jen Cotter. So we are really shaping the content that, that as a, as a, I liken it more to a network, you know, we, we produce live content thousands of episodes of live content and that, so there's a, there's a media component to what I do. There's a creative partnership with our production teams. And of course, I'm also working cross-functionally with product, with marketing, with press um, to make sure that the instructor point of view is also part of the conversation because we never want to get lost in Law, we never want to lose what what has worked in the first place, which was a which is a true passion for fitness and effective workout that also is entertaining. And so I I kind of I do sit at the nexus of that. Well, if yeah. you ever have any desire to install some of our run walk run classes in there, we'd be 
honored and love to work on that. So keep us in mind. (laughs) Thanks for that, Jeff. (laughs) One of the great things about Peloton is its ability to be a force for good in the world. As your CEO, John Foley, said recently, exemplified by the content created around the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, I'll tell you something not too many people know about me, but I had the humble honor to be on the front lines during the first civil rights crises in the 60s and was able to work with Martin Luther King and Andrew Young, uh, actually served with him on his staff for his first campaign for U.S. Congress. Just a wonderful time. Tell us a little bit about using fitness and your voice as a catalyst for change. Well, I mean, to go back to the the pride that we have in our instructors is someone joins the team really like they're joining, joining a squad of superheroes. And they're joining the team with a point of view and rooted in a passion for, of course, wellness. But that's just like the ground floor. We So John really led from the front in 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 stating very clearly that Peloton was going to become and is going to become an anti-racist organization. And there are a lot of ways that internally we're educating ourselves. We're taking that work really seriously, but really this was illuminated and led by, from a content perspective, by our instructors for our instructors and specifically Tunde and Chelsea created meditations and a cycling series that, spoke directly to the Black Lives Matter conversation. And from a larger perspective, from a broader perspective, together we go far has always been our, our moniker, our adage. And that really become, is rendered meaningless if that doesn't include a conversation supporting Black Lives Matter, our Black colleagues, our Black instructors, our Black members, our, the Black artists that we partner with and, and, and play on a daily basis. So this is really just the beginning of a, of a long-term commitment and a long-term conversation, but specifically to the, you know, the content that we produced in the past few months, that was really led by instructors saying, I have a voice, I have an opinion, this is my lived experience, I think I can lead in this moment, and you pass the mic and you put on the, give them the spotlight and you know, beautiful things happen. That yeah. is beautiful, Absolutely. I think it's great how, yeah, that the mic has been opened up to instructors, you know, voicing their own opinions on things and everything. I think that's very impactful. Um, Kind of on the same lines, what does empowerment through fitness mean to you? I mean, I think it is very literally stepping into your power. I think when we're able to ritualize discomfort, in the small ways and whether it's a short run, a long run, an intense strength, whatever, whatever it is, the, that pocket of time ritualizes discomfort and it reminds us of our resiliency. And I think that is a critical element to stepping into our power in all areas of our lives. And that it has been foundational for me. And that is, um, why I do what I do because I want folks to have those opportunities uh, in a wide variety on a wide variety of platforms in a lot of ways related to movement. Well said. I think that's a good yeah 
Yeah, no, I think that's that's great and, and a great segue into your your book. So you for, you just recently published Shut Up and Run that offers training, advice, uh, inspiration, and of course, Robin-esque style. Um, what inspired you to write the book and what should the reader take away from it? I wanted to unpack running. I, I found that when I was doing my own research, Thankfully, there's an abundance of it, but that can also be really paralyzing. And I wanted to just have a practical but direct conversation with folks who might have entered the running journey just like me and were very intimidated by super, um, by like spreadsheets (laughs) or things that felt um, like, gosh, I'm not a five minute mile. Can I still do this? And that that really was it. I I wanted a practical training approach, but also that was rooted in storytelling, that was rooted in my story and had the aesthetic conversation. I wanted something that if you had, if it were sitting on your coffee table, you, it would also, you know, spark conversation. So that was the objective with the book. So this is actually, it's for both of you guys. Um, You both worked in sandwich shops uh, in your very early days of your career, if you will. Um, So if you were to go back into that time, what would you tell your younger self about what is to come? So Robin, you can go first. (laughs) I used to make sandwiches. Anybody in the Philadelphia, New Jersey area is probably familiar with Wawa. It is a, an iconic chain of delis and um, maybe even gas stations at this point. <laughs> I made breakfast sandwiches at, this, at Wawa. And I actually have such fond memories of it. It was just such honest, um, direct work. And I would say that... It, what would I tell? Am I sending a message to my younger self or is the Wawa version of Robin sending a message to me now? <laughs> either way, either way, maybe both. <laughs> Love it. Well, I think it probably goes both ways. I think I would probably tell my younger self um, to, to focus on what's in front of me and control the controllables that I I am not a patient person by nature. And that job taught me patience. Cause it's just like, you're waiting for the order. You got to listen, you focus on the task, you build the sandwich, you hand over the sandwich. And there is something really like simple and um, beautiful about that. <laughs> it truly is a basic experience, isn't it, Robin? I mean, you were working directly with people. You're trying to get them something that is important for them right then. And you're also learning the communication. I actually worked in the sandwich shop when I was starting my store and uh, I had almost zero money. So I really had to find ways of supporting myself in addition to uh, the store. Didn't take any salary for the first year and a half. And so one of the ways that I did that was working in the sandwich shop. And uh, it was a very valuable part of learning how to relate to people, just as you say. I learned a lot from that, and I would suggest that employees not just work on the hourly type of uh, mentality, but how can this enhance my life? Because it can. Yeah, and I think it was any, I really do believe that any job can teach us to lead from where we are. And I had a lot of, I mean, I worked in retail. I think the only, 
I, I have never been a, a server at a restaurant and I do not know if I have the patience to do that. So I admire anyone who has had that experience, but I, but I, I, I know the feeling of having kind of being the first, you know, the, the last employee hired and being the lowest on the totem pole and feeling like, Oh gosh, but I want to be doing this, this, and that. And what I've learned in these, uh, especially the entry level jobs that I've done is you, you can lead from where you sit or stand. And not only is that of course being, you know, the hardest worker in the room, but I think it is also observing the environment that you're in and seeing where can I add value and, and where can I get to that desire? How can I get to that desired outcome? Great. You all both have this amazing honor that people probably tell you, and I've heard them say to Jeff, and I, I know they say it to you, Robin, because I feel it, that you've changed my life. The inspiration you give me, I'm sure there's people who have told you that you've given them the strength to do things they believed impossible. And right now with COVID, a lot of us might be feeling stuck. We've maybe lost that spark or we're challenged in ways we didn't expect before. So for both of you, Robin, what would you say to someone listening that doesn't feel right now like the best version of themselves and wants the inspiration to get back to feeling that mojo, that excitement, that vivacious love of life, you know, that you give us on the bike and that Jeff gives when people get out there and run, what do you say to inspire someone right now that's just not feeling great with COVID and they want to feel great? I know. Listen, what I've learned at both at as a runner and as a human is that it it can be really messy. Like it can be messy. And sometimes we're in a messy season of our lives. And this seems to be one of them for a lot of us in a lot of ways. And the, when I'm feeling unsettled, unwell or depressed, I mean, all the ways that we can feel less than I do two things. I kind of take stock of the basics. It's like, have I had a meal? Have I had sleep? Have I had water? Because it's amazing how, um, you know, we get on Zoom marathons for 10 hours a day and we forget, even as athletes, even as seasoned athletes can forget the basics. So back to basics, like do that kind of internal gut check because that really is the foundation for any greatness. Um, And then the second piece of it is a little bit more esoteric, a little bit more, maybe even metaphysical or spiritual, but I try to do um, like an internal audit. And and oftentimes that's on a run, but sometimes it might be like opening up a journal and the days that you think you don't have time to do that are the days where you need it the most. So I think taking the reins back in your day of even just claiming those 10 minutes to do that internal audit are critical. And that internal conversation is the only way you're going to be be able to guide yourself to the next best step. So I would say, take care of the basics and then carve out at least 10 minutes, if not 30 minutes for that internal audit, um, on a walk, on a run, and, or maybe even just, you know, meditation, journaling, anything that kind of opens up the space in between your ears. I love that. And I'm going to say to you, Robin, to remember that for yourself when you have a baby. Thank you. <laughs> and I want you on those days where you say, I can't, that you've got to remember that too. But Jeff, same thing for you. How do you continue to inspire people when it, get, it gets hard out there? What do you say to them? Well, every day I hear from several dozen runners who have had things interrupt. And what a great question today. But I have to say that your question is really what inspired our podcast, because the simple fact is that once we embrace the fact that we can do it, whether it be our workout or just getting out of bed in the morning or 
are going around the block, we're going to start changing the brain. We're going to turn it on. We're going to be able to get those circuits going that allow us to feel what we are able to do, which is a number of amazing things. And so as a result of connecting with one another, and Robin, you're helping us and you're helping hundreds of others by being on this show today, we form this wonderful community that has no limits. And uh, we will get through this pandemic. And on the other side of it, I truly believe is a fitness boom that the world has never seen before. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yes. And Robin, I'll let you in on a little secret about what Jeff does. He's been able to stay and visit his grandson and be with us more due to the pandemic. And so every about hour and a half or so, you'll hear the door shut and you'll wonder where Jeff is. And he's just gotten up and gone for a little run, gone for a little walk. So <laughs> he does That's practice me. what he preaches. Where's, where's Runpa? Oh, he's just outside in 99 degree heat in Florida taking an <laughs> afternoon walk. But he's getting those endorphins. So That's so great. I love it. So, so oh gosh, Jeff, I've used so much of your training. I can't even tell you. It's an honor to meet you. Sure. Um, it's, so, okay. So, how, what do you mean you became you were an accidental Olympian? Like, what does that even feel like to be at the top of of a game of the game? And then, second question: How did you transition that level of external expectations on your athletics to then a more internal one that was more almost like? How did you maintain the passion when it wasn't competitive? And now clearly all these years later, it's still part of your, of your everyday life. Like, how do you maintain the purity of it over such a long time? I was really a, a fat kid that did not qualify for the state championships in the state of Georgia for my first four years, working very, very hard. I showed no signs of being able to move up to the next level. I didn't give up. You know all those things. That's what it's really about. Uh, but um, it was just a totally exciting journey in which I came into the Olympic trials uh, way far down in the rankings. And I just got in the game and I just did what I could do. And I'm in the 10K, I moved from last place to second and qualified in the race. And uh, in the marathon, I was able to actually help a very good friend of mine qualified by pacing him all the way through. And then I actually gave him my spot right uh, at the finish line. I dropped back so he could be the official qualifier. So many wonderful experiences there. Now, your second aspect of the question was triggered by my experience in this whole world opening up for me on the world-class level. Mm-hmm. And I was there for 10 years. It, it was a wonderful time frame. But very early in that, immediately after the Olympics, I had already committed to being a classroom teacher, which is what I thought I was going to be as a career. And it didn't work out. It, it was just, I wasn't meant to be a classroom teacher. I was meant to teach, but not in the classroom. But there were so many ups and downs during that year that I did incredible soul searching, as I'm sure you did when you were dealing with your law uh, background and so forth. And what I came up with is what 
got me into running. I knew that every time I got out there in my run, I would be able to discover some things inside myself that I didn't have before I ran. And I, I was turning on the good attitude, the vitality, the empowerment circuit to change my life. And I wanted to help others do this. And so what I came up with was a very unexpected thing in 1973, and that was to start a running store. There were no running stores. And the reason was it wasn't profitable. So I had to figure out how to keep the doors open. And so what I did is I started inventing wheels. I started training programs. I started mm. uh, uh, coaching people that time by mail because there was no inter, uh, internet. Uh, I held uh, retreats during the summer and in some cases on weekends. Uh, and, and then it just branched out from there into dozens of different side businesses that then got into a life of their own. But it just a wonderful series of things with a whole lot of gut-wrenching times in between, are we going to be able <laughs> to pay the bills? And uh, so far we have, but no guarantee. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's, um, that's something I've been curious about. And then also, I guess my last question would be, how does what, what is the key to longevity in running? Like, is it... Is it adapting pace, distance? Is it the mental attitude? You know, I, I think most runners listening, you know, if they're under third, under forty, are like, "Yeah, I want to be doing this for another forty years." You know, so how how do we do that? When I uh, was given the assignment to write my mental training book, I had to take six months off in order to figure out what goes in the brain goes on in the brain when we run or do any activity. Uh, running happens to be one of those very unique types of activities in life in that it turns on so many positive circuits because our ancient ancestors, when they ran, had to dig down and had to find all types of resources mentally, physically, and spiritually to get through. And as a result of this uh, hard wiring that we have when we run, uh, I found in the research that we tend to activate the human brain that, um, that gives us control over whatever it is that we're doing. But we do have a choice to activate the ancient subconscious brain. If we do that, we're going to be in for some trouble during our workout and during mm. our life because the stress of the run will trigger the release of anxiety hormones and negative attitude hormones. If you focus as a runner on the positive side and on the truly endearing aspects of feeling good during your run and being able to relate to what's around you, to the others that you're running with, and with your goal and make it a meaningful goal, then you will continue to have this wonderful longevity. Uh, I have had the honor of meeting several thousand runners in their 80s over my career. And I love that because the 80-year-olds 
have the mental uh, sharpness and the vitality of any 30-year-old that I meet. I mean, why wouldn't you want this as a longevity thing? The deal killer for most runners is that they concentrate too much on the competition and Mm. their goals in time. And that can be self-defeating after a while. Have fun. Enjoy every single step. And you will open a series of worlds that keep opening until you die. I mean, I, I want to be able to run until I'm past 100. That's my goal. And as a result of the uh, continued study that I need to do for my writing, I'm able to keep unlocking things. So I hope that continues. Oh, it will. That is so encouraging. And I, I'm, thank you. That These are the kind of conversations that light little sparks. And, you know, of course it's lighting a spark in me, but I'm sure the folks listening, it's like, yes, like these are the embers that we need to pay attention to. The last part is a few rapid fire questions for you, Robin. The best Peloton name you've ever seen. Oh, it's usually, uh, I would say they fall into two categories. They're either, they're usually like so-and-so loves insert favorite food. So it's like Amy loves avocados or like Paul for, Paul for pizza. <laughs> so there's like the food category of names, which I find pretty funny. And then the second are plays on lyrics. So I'm a big 90s hip hop fan. So I'll see like Notorious AMY, which is a Notorious B.I.G. reference. So when I can pick up on those clever kind of puns, that's nice too. You know, that that puts a lot of creativity into a name. Uh, And Jeff, what would your Peloton screen name be? (laughs) Oh, it it would be... um... Run, walk, run, I'm sure. <laughs> run, pa is a pretty good one. Yeah, I know. Maybe <laughs> run, pa. I have embraced that. I love that. Oh, uh, Robin, who inspires you? Ooh, my mom is a superhero. She definitely inspires me. Um, she is a proud Latina, hardworking doctor, and I learned a lot of my work ethic from her. And I would say, you know, like big picture thinking, Oprah, Beyonce, J-Lo. I mean, I could go on. My The power posse in my head is like a council of strong women. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, what has been your best takeout during quarantine? Ooh, um, there is a really amazing... Uh, there's a vegan pizza place in Philadelphia when I went to see my mom for... Um, I don't know. It might've been Mother's Day. I think it would have, was Mother's Day. We did a social, that was it. We did a socially distanced picnic. It was the first time I'd seen my mother in months. Um, and there is a takeout pizza. There's a takeout pizza place called Blackbird in Philadelphia. And that's my favorite vegan pizza on the planet. And I'm plant-based. So that's my jam. Jeff Galloway is also a big pizza uh, yes. fan. No cheese, yes. just feta cheese. Yes. Uh, best race or run you've done? My, so my first 50 miler was a really memorable one that was with North Face. I don't remember in DC or one of the, one of the North Face series, 50 milers. And the, the MS run the US is always going to be close to my heart. That was five marathons in five days. My leg was across Utah. It's a point to point cross country relay to raise money for MS research. And that one, and my, my mom lives with MS. So that one was really meaningful to me. 
other than the baby, what are you looking forward to in the next year? You know, I'm <laughs> my honest answer, brand expansion and global domination. <laughs> Wow. I'm not thinking small, that's for sure. (laughs) Good, good. Uh, This was from some of our listeners. Um, How do you get motivated when you don't want to work out? Process and purpose. I think like getting rid of all the impediments. So it's like put the shoes out, mark it on the calendar. I mean, there are kind of practical process things that we need to get out that enable us to get out of our own way. And then there's the purpose piece of it, which is always my anchor. I don't actually search for motivation because most days I'm not motivated, (laughs) but I have purpose. And that purpose is to create a legacy that I'm proud of, that more importantly, to create a legacy that my family is proud of and really live the message that I am portraying on social media and on Peloton and all these other things. And it's, I find that doing my own workout, I have way more honest energy to give you, it, it seems, seems antithetical, but like that energy does beget energy. And, um, I always think about that. Like what is the desired outcome? The desired outcome is to like kick butt in every other area of my life. And I've always had a, not always, but since I discovered running, the foundation of that has been movement. And I have to have my own workouts in order to serve other people, their own, their workouts. That's great. Um, And then last but not least, and you're kind of just starting this journey, but advice to people who are starting their pregnancy journey or new moms out there who are just getting back into the swing of things. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to lead folks on this journey. I am pre and postnatal certified and, and of course a pregnant athlete myself. And I want folks to focus on what they can do, right? So a lot of the conversation is centered around limitations and restrictions and modifications. And of course, there are things that we need to adapt and you always should be listening to your medical team, but there's a lot of empowerment there. I mean, you are creating a human, honey. So focus on bite-sized things that make you proud. And I, and I, during my first trimester, I live by the 10 minutes a day rule. I would just say, start for 10 minutes. If you can always hit the eject button at any point, And usually after those 10 minutes, I was in it, you know, maybe not my fastest splits or my heaviest weight, but I just did something. And that really brought me back to myself. And truly, I believe that that momentum created more momentum. And now that I'm in my second trimester, I'm feeling really great. And I I want folks to focus on what they can control and really look to leaders in the industry, whether it's myself or or somebody else who can be a trusted resource and curate your scope of influence. I would say that's another very important thing because the internet is a rabbit hole. Not all of it is even accurate. There's a lot of misinformation out there and um, you are always your biggest guide. So listen to what your body is saying. Women have been giving birth for a really long time. And it was before the internet rabbit holes. So trust your body and trust your curated team. Great advice. Where can people follow you? Uh, so I am Robin Arson. I'm uh, at robinarson.com, A-R-Z-O-N. And uh, my, my most engaging platform is going to be Instagram where I am Robin NYC. We really appreciate you participating on this podcast. And as a result, 
you're going to be helping a whole lot of people. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. This was so delightful. Really, it was an honor, and I appreciate being invited. Best of luck with the show. It's, it's, it's going to serve a lot of people. This is Robin Addison, and you can do it. Started in the eighth grade, running with some friends of mine. Joked and told good stories, wasn't all about finishing time. It took me off to college, building friends along the way, running. Yeah.